With episodes nearing 350 in the Stages archive, it's time to revisit conversations featured in our previous seasons. Stages spotlight such episodes in case you missed them the first time round, or so you can simply savour a second listen. Either way, you'll be accessing precious oral histories from the people who were there on and around our stages. Nancy Hayes is synonymous with Australian show business, and her presence in any show guarantees a consummate artist determined to engage with vast skill and an extensive joy that she invests into every performance. In October, the great lady celebrated 60 years of life on the boards. Nancy Hayes is one of our great elders. Her tremendous warmth, star quality and enormous contribution to the arts in Australia have made her universally adored. Stages salutes her six decades as a leading lady by revisiting this sparkling two-episode conversation from 2020 when she visited the podcast to record her remarkable story. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and thanks for joining me in this episode of Stages. I trust you've been enjoying the past few episodes where we've been celebrating some of our pioneers of musical theatre in Australia. If not, do yourself a favour and find the episodes. There is much to relish with Tony Lamond, Kevin Johnson, Jill Perryman and remembering Betty Pounder. Today, it is my enormous delight to share this conversation with one of Australia's finest leading ladies and showbiz icons. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Nancy Hayes. Nancy Hayes started her professional career as a dancer in My Fair Lady. She then progressed through roles in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, Hello Dolly, and The Boys from Syracuse. She scored tremendous personal success as Charity Hope Valentine in her breakout performance in Sweet Charity, establishing herself as a bright new star. The accolades came thick and fast, leading Nancy to great acclaim and onto a career that has seen her conquer all genres and theatrical roles, on and off the stage. She has contributed dynamically and creatively in roles such as director, choreographer, mentor and teacher. Her vast repertoire of leading and character roles has given us memorable performances as Miss Adelaide, Miss Hannigan, Madame Armfelt, Mrs Higgins, Mrs Potts, Mrs Lovett, Ardella and Lady Hotham. Nancy Hayes is synonymous with Australian show business and her presence in any show guarantees a consummate artist determined to engage us with her vast skill and extensive passion for performance. Thank you for talking to Stages. It's a pleasure. It's so exciting to to, to chat to you, um, certainly in this first few weeks of Stages 2020 where we've spoken to two of your very treasured colleagues in Tony Lamond and Jill Perryman and Kevin ah. Johnson. Yes, indeed. So it's lovely to be sort of uh, concluding that um, that quartet with with you. <laughs> uh, now, Nancy, a, a question I've wondered about for years: um, the E in Nancy, where did that come from? That spelling. Well, it comes from uh, the fact that my mother had a sister called Nancy, who died when she was five from diphtheria, and. Uh, it was never mentioned during her pregnancy that she was thinking about calling me Nancy, and I don't know if she ever really did think about it. But after I was born, when my grandmother came to the hospital, she said, I'm going to call her Nancy. I'm putting the E in it because the original Nancy was Nancy Elizabeth. Oh, wow. So that's where the E comes from. It's not a theatrical edition. Right. It came from the very beginning. <laughs> because I, you Google Nancy, and uh, before you put the E in, we get Nancy Pelosi, and then we add the E, and it's all Miss Hayes. So right. yeah, there was another Nancy. Nellie Stewart's daughter was Nancy with an E. Right. 
Yes, so that's the only other one. And I think there was a Nancy Bridges that had an E on it too. And they, um, Nancy, Nellie Stewart was a great star in the early, early J.C. Williamson's days, I would right. say, yes. Right. Irish for Anne. It is, yes. Yeah, yeah. yes. Um, can I, uh, Melbourne Review for Sweet Charity, your, your big uh, launch into to stardom, described you thus, Nancy Hayes gives an exhilarating and seemingly inexhaustible performance. That description could quite easily describe your career. You, you never seem to be out of work. Well, I have been over the years, but I've had a pretty good run, I must say. Yeah. Do you get tired? Oh, yes, of course. And I mean, inexhaustible. It was exhausting, sweet charity. I mean, I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> <laughs> and really, it was. It's a tough show, that one. Yeah. Well, so, a lot of shows are tough, but that one was particularly. So what do you do generally to maintain your fitness? Is it diet? Do you go to the well, gym? I, or? I'm not a great gym goer, but no. I always love to dance. So I'd, I'd dance or do tap dancing or, or something. I love to walk. Um, I try to eat pretty well, but I can't say that I'm perfect in that area. Um, I enjoy a drink. I enjoy having my glass of wine. Every now and again I go, no, we'll give that up for a while, which is very hard. But anyway, uh, other than that, I just try and keep myself fit and on top of things. I suppose rehearsals also are a way, although they're often only about four weeks long, if that, um, that's getting your show fit as well, isn't well, it? Well, it is. When and, and your muscle to, memory is sort of... You learn to pace yourself in shows where you get your singing, dancing, dialogue, singing, dancing, dialogue. You have to learn to, to find those moments where you can just take a breath without seeming to lose energy. Yeah. And I think that's something you learn over the years. Do you have a, when you have a downtime, what do you do to amuse yourself? Do you have any hobbies? I love going to the movies. I love sewing. Yeah. My mother was a great sewer. She taught me to sew and I love doing needlework and things like that. And as I said, you know, go, go to a class. I don't go to dance classes much now because they're all so much younger than I am. <laughs> I wish I could find one with my age group, but uh, I don't think there's too many around. I think Rabina Beard does a few oh, tap, right. yep. tap um, classes with her ladies, but I don't know whether she's still doing She's so inexhaustible. She's amazing. Do you remember the first show you saw? first show I ever saw was Anna Get Your Gun when I was about five five years old. With Evie Hayes? With Evie Hayes oh. at the Theatre Royal, the old Theatre Royal in Castle Ray Street. Um, and I just remember as soon as that orchestra started and the curtain went up, I was totally in love with what I was seeing. But still it's true I got lost in his arms And I had to stay It was dark in his arms and I lost my way From the dark came a voice And it seemed to say There you go There you go How I felt when I felt and I went around forever singing all the songs from that, all the romantic songs, not the comedy ones. And I've never been a romantic lead in my life. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. Never? I've always been a character. Right. Character part. But there's something about that. So many show people describe that first hearing of a show tune and it's sort of, they've found yes. their purpose. That's it's, right. There's just a connection. That's, that's how I felt. And from then on, I kept saying, I'm going on the stage when I grow up. And my mother, who was a very practical woman, would continue washing the dishes and I'm wiping and she'd say, that'll be nice, dear. Yes, that'll be nice. But when I got to the stage where I had to make a choice about what I was going to do, 
at, after I'd done high school certificate, um, the teachers wanted me to go on and do the leaving, which is which is what it was called then. But I really wanted to pursue. Um, I wanted to dance. That was my big thing. I wanted to dance on, in a musical. So she said, well, "Well, we'll make a pact, and you have to go to secretarial school for a year." and learn shorthand and typing and a bit of accountancy and then you have to work for two years and after that you can start to audition for things. So that's what I did and I, after I'd finished my year at Technical College, uh, the Forestry Commission gave me a job. So I was in the typing pool there for a little while and then I, was, I became a junior secretary and, um, and they were lovely people and, and the man that was my boss also had a daughter who was a painter so he's, he was on side with someone selecting a, a career a little out of the ordinary. So he was very helpful and he used to say yeah, as the time, as the two years went by, I'd say, oh, there's an audition um, up at the Tivoli. And he'd say, oh, look, I'll have to give you something to deliver up that part of the city. So he was he was always terrific to me in that way. Oh, but what was his name? Mr. Worley. Right. Mr. Worley. Thank you, Mr. Worley. Yes. Yeah. So were there any other careers that you thought you might do or showbiz was always? It was always foremost. Media. And I yes. did like my year. I'm quite a, I'm a person that loves a desk, loves... I mean, I'm getting over, you know, it's such so changed now in the world, but I love my desk and I love writing and I love stationery shops and all of those sorts of things. Well, so I probably prob could have been a very good secretary. <laughs> you probably won't be surprised to hear that, that Kevin Johnson in last week's episode talks about Miss Hayes and her dressing room where everything is in its <laughs> position on the desk. <laughs> Unlike his. <laughs> Unlike his, exactly, exactly. <laughs> And he said you, you, you and, and Ms Perryman always are at the theatre very, very early. Well, I love to go around and have a chat to everyone. Yeah, catch up. I think that's great. And I'm, I love it now when it's an hour call because you get plenty of time to do it. Yeah. You know, I think people that run in at the half hour call, some people have to because they're either running from looking after children or trying to find a park or whatever. But I love that hour or so before the show starts. I guess it's important too to check in with people just to see where everyone's at. That, You're about exactly. to sort of share two and a half, three hours together. Well, it becomes family, doesn't yeah, it? It yeah. really does yeah. a lot of the time. And, and sometimes you think, oh, we'll all, you know, we'll all get together and, and the, with the best of intentions. But time goes by and you think, oh, we haven't done that. But as soon as you see this person again, you sort of take up where you left off, which I think is wonderful. It's an extraordinary uh, value, that isn't it? It's, there's not many occupations. I, don't, I doubt where there's any occupations where where that could happen. happen. Where you get an opportunity to work with um, a mix of people so many times, perhaps, yes, and yes. you just pick up from where you left off. Well, you do, yeah. and you go, "Gosh, we've got to you know, we must get together." <laughs> <laughs> In your recent one-woman show at the Hayes Theatre, which was magnificent, um, Hayes you. at the Hayes. You, sing a, you sang a song called Time Machine, and in it there's a lyric, and I may paraphrase here. I think of all the characters I've been, and I take them for a spin. I realise they're still within my skin. Uh, in the show, the great roles you've played, you then go into a, a, um, a celebration of. You seem to access them very, very well. Is that easy for you, even though you haven't played a character for several years? Well, I've had some wonderful characters. And they're an extension of yourself too, I They guess. are, I think. You know, the Miss Adelaides and the Roxies and Charity. And, and more recently, Madame Armfeld and, and people like that and, and Lillian, Lily Harrison from Six Dance Lessons. They're all characters I've really loved doing, you know, and, and it could have gone on and on and on. 
but of course doesn't. And uh, so doing a bit of cabaret has always been a lovely place to revisit them. I mean, in my early cabaret show, I would do Adelaide's Lament and, and uh, um, a monologue uh, that Tony Sheldon put together and tell the story of Sweet Charity and do bits of the dialogue and do the... It went for about 10 minutes, but it was joyful to just revisit her again. Yeah. Because I was so young when I did that too, and I think of it you know, now, now, I think. Babies, we were all babies. So how old were you? 20, I, I just turned 24, 10 wow. days before we opened, which wow. is very young to play that role. Yeah, yeah. But it t- changed my life. It was... Something what I don't know where I would have been if that hadn't happened. Really. You should see yourself night tonight. You're a hundred what electric light. When you switch to a seductive mood, I'm not stuck on you, lover. I am glued in that college tab tweed. Do I wilt? Boy, are you built? You're so strong, you got muscles you don't need. Yeah, yes, indeed. Oh, Charlie, do you know what I did today? I went looking for furniture. Bedroom Charity Hope Valentine, Nellie Lovett, Hedy LaRue, Roxy Hart, Miss Adelaide, Parthian Hawks, Edith Ewing Bouvier Beale, Madame Armfelt, Pirate Ruth, Lady Bracknell. Do you want me to go on? No. I mean, it's an extraordinary list. Miss Hannigan, Mrs. Potts, Mrs. Higgins. Uh, Glinda the Good Witch, Lillian Lafleur, oh. Lily St. Regis. It's an extraordinary... Named after the hotel. It, yes. Which floor? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it's an extraordinary repertoire of roles. Um, it's a lot of nights in the theatre. It's a bit like shift work, I guess. A lot of, a lot of long runs, you know, eight performances a week. And your life goes by very quickly when you think about it in those long runs. I mean, now... I'm fortunate that I get an opportunity to do things every now and again, and I'm loving that, because I don't think you ever, in your heart, give it away completely. But um, to have to do runs with eight performances a week over years, I couldn't face that now. I haven't got that many years to be wasting. (laughs) Not that I think it's wasting them. It's not wasting them, but it does... um, You do sacrifice a lot, I guess. You sacrifice a lot around with your personal life. I mean, I didn't marry until I was in my 50s, but I was with my husband, Bob, for some years before that. But, you know, he was travelling a lot with his music and I was, you know, doing shows. Often we were lucky enough that he would play in the in the orchestra. But a lot of the time we were separated and uh, as you're getting on, you think it's we don't want to miss that chance to be together. Spend more time together. Mm. You met through the theatre, didn't we you? We did. Yeah. When we were doing... Um, Chicago, the original, the original, myself and Geraldine, um, he was in the orchestra and of course they were on stage. Mind you, that original was only, what, 10 years of that? 81. Yeah, yeah, so 75 on Broadway, so you were doing yeah. it quite, oh, yeah. we were quite doing new. It. Well, fortunately though, enough time had gone by that Richard could actually do the production he wanted to do, so we didn't have to... Do the Fosse version. Do the Fosse version. And we had Ross Coleman, who was a very fine choreographer in that in that, that style. And uh, and a wonderful cast, a wonderful cast. And Roger Kirk for costumes and Brian Thompson for set. And oh, Pretty you know, we were in very, very good hands. And it was such an exciting thing because we were only going to do it for six weeks at the Opera House. And suddenly we did a gypsy run. I think it was like... The night, the afternoon before we were doing the opening night, and you just knew. I mean, I know it's always a little, 
Um, so a gypsy run is for show folk. Show folk, yeah. so that they could come and see it. But it, the the reaction was so fantastic. And then, indeed, it was from the opening night. So we, we, we transferred to the Royal and we went to Melbourne and we went to Adelaide and came back to the Royal. And then about a year later, we went over to Hong Kong. So it was a... From that six weeks, it just turned into just the most amazing experience and a great show. Some of those delightful surprises. That yeah, exactly. Come out of the business. Exactly, and they were able to do their own thing with it, which I think was important for us. Sometimes I'm right, and sometimes I'm wrong, but he doesn't care. He'll string along. He loves me so. That funny honey of mine Sometimes I'm down And sometimes I'm up But he follows round Like some droopy-eyed pup He loves me so That funny honey of mine so there's a saxophone player. There was oh yes yeah. indeed. Getting back to that, um, there was this saxophone player. I said to Judy Canelli, I really like that saxophone player. No, you don't. She said. Oh, I do. No, you don't. Because he was a muser. Because he was a muser, yeah. and she said, uh, a couple of nights later, she said, well, I've had a bit of a chat to him. She said, now he's divorced, and uh, he works at the con. He's in the jazz faculty, but I'm going to just say one thing to you: if you're a star. If you become a band mole, I'll never forgive you. <laughs> anyway, she's forgiven me and she's a great friend of Bob's, so that's good. Great. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so you've been together a while now. We have, yeah. 37 years. Bravo, yes. congratulations. And he featured in Hayes at the Hayes. He did, yeah. and, he, and he loved it. He was a bit unsure at first, but then in the end he said, you know, in all the years I've played jazz, I don't think I've ever felt so good and got such a great reception. Brilliant. <laughs> Chicago, written by Candor and Ebb. You've done yeah. a few Candor and Ebb shows. Yes, Cabaret, yeah. Chicago. Someone needs to do The Visit. Oh, you? The Visit. Wouldn't that be lovely? It would be lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a favourite uh, writing team or a favourite composer? Well, I love Candor and Ebb. Yeah. I love Cy Coleman. I love the range of Cy Coleman. You know, yes, Cy I think of all the composers, he's somebody who you can listen to his various shows and they're all so different that you couldn't... And I I don't know if anyone's ever put a, together a show of Cy Coleman because it's some wonderful choices and also popular mm. things as well, you know, witchcraft and stuff like that that he wrote. So um, we can throw that uh, hat in the room for that one. Maybe this project. <laughs> a little psychology, yes. <laughs> I'm sure it's been psychology, Ella. You've been thinking about I've it, haven't you? I've been thinking about it. <laughs> My Fair Lady was your very first show. It was. Yes. And you how lucky I was to be part of that. Very excited. We had, uh, we've spoken to Bunty Turner, oh, who yes. was uh, the leading lady, of course, in that show. What was uh, that baptism like for you, doing that show? Well, I had tried out for a number of shows, as I told you, and I got into, be, uh, was chosen to be one of the replacements for the American cast of um, West Side Story. Because West Side Story, when it played out here originally, was not a success. No, no. And they brought a, a huge number of Americans, as they needed to at that stage. Including Ronnie Arnold? Ronnie yeah. Arnold, Ernie Parham, um, their names I remember. Um, but, but it's a performance who stayed on. Yes, they yes, they, yeah. those, both, both those boys stayed yeah. on. And Dobbs Franks was in Dobbs there. Franks was yeah. the conductor. And I remember going, with my little secretarial money, 
to see it and I had never heard or seen anything like it although I I had the recording because I joined I bought a portable radiogram and I joined the World Record Club and the World Record Club would send musical theatre if that was your interest musical theatre so I got a one show a month and of course played it to death and that was one of them but to sit in a theatre and hear it live and see it performed was was something I'll never forget. So when there were this this call came out because some of the Americans were going to return and they were going to replace them with Australians, I went up there and I remember doing the audition and uh, we were, a couple of us were chosen and then they decided to close the show so it, it didn't happen. The same thing happened for me with Most Happy Fella. They decided not to take any dancers from Sydney, that they would cast all the, the dancers and chorus in Melbourne because it was a carol show. And um, I went for Bye Bye Birdie, and I'd also had that recording, and went down from a great number of dancers to the final lot. And then I didn't look like a teeny bopper, and I didn't, you know, I didn't really fit, and I didn't, there weren't any older roles for me to do. So I was really disappointed, and my mother, in her usual way, said, well, if, if you're going to take this so badly, you may as well give up the idea of being in show business, because you'll never survive. So that changed my mind and I got over that quickly and then I got a telegram to say would I come to Her Majesty's in um, at Railway Square there on a Friday and audition for a replacement in My Fair Lady. They'd done the Sydney season and they were replacing for the tour. So I went along and by noon that Friday I was in show business. So, so I rang Mr Worley and I said I have to start on Tuesday because with the public service, I think you're meant to give two weeks' notice. But he said, oh, look, we'll, 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 we'll work it out. Yes, tell them you can do it. Yes. So I started. I went to see it on the... It was a long week, the long weekend in uh, October, and I went to see it, and I just thought... And they said to me, you're going to, to be the swing girl in the waltz. And I thought, the swing girl? I've always wanted to be on a swing <laughs> on the stage. Oh, how wonderful. So I'm sitting there during the matinee and I'm thinking, when does this swing. swing come on? <laughs> I was very naive, yes. very naive. But they were a lovely company, Bunty and um, Robin Bailey and, and Stuart Wagstaff and a great group of girls, many of whom I'm always in touch with, girls and boys. And we toured for about 18 months. With Fair Lady. Did you go to New Zealand? Or no, we, just the, the other company went to New Zealand. There were two companies. Thing. Two companies that were touring at two the same time. Two companies at the same time. No, we did um, Brisbane, six months in Brisbane. The only show that had done six months before was Anna Get Your Gun. And then we went to Perth for six months, which was extraordinary because the Commonwealth Games were on there and there were a lot of visitors and Fair Lady was a show that everybody knew and wanted to see. And I think the great thing about it was that um, it was a very a show that kept up its standard very strongly. I mean, that was part of the discipline of it and the the expectation of you as a as a member of the company. You always had to present yourself well on stage and off. You weren't allowed to wear pants or you had to come to the theatre dressed nicely and leave the theatre the same way. When I got into How to Succeed, when we went to rehearsals, we had to wear our fishneck tights, our leotards, have makeup on and a high heel shoes. So is this um, coming from uh, Williamson's? Was yes, there a PR person who would train you well, or Betty remind Pounder you? Well, Betty Pounder would remind you or in right. the dance captains. Right. They'd say, oh, that's not quite appropriate. So, you know, it was a very different time, a very different very time. Very much a profession, yeah. 
was a profession yeah. and they believed in when people paid money to see something glamorous on stage they didn't seem need to have their expectations lowered when you left the stage door were there uh, resident directors or, or was that the stage mainly, manager's job to keep mainly the show in stage order? manager right. and um the musical director for chorus i guess and certainly uh betty when we we're in melbourne and betty would she would travel and check shows but the dance captains were very prominent in our lives because we didn't sing at all. There were, it was very sectionalised then. So there was the chorus who moved a little and the dancers who didn't sing or didn't get an opportunity to do any lines. Wow. It was always the chorus. So when the next one, being How to Succeed, we became ensemble. That was the first time I'd ever encountered that. So you do Get Me to the Church on Time? They'd sing and, it. And just dance? And, and then, then they'd, they'd go to the sides virtually yep. and then the dancers would take over and do the jig. Right. Yeah. And we'd goldfish in um, Ascot. Right. Even if you had a voice, yeah. you still goldfished. You'd, they're very sectionalised. Were you a singer at that time? Were you... I was a singer from song and dance at dancing school. Right. That's what kind of singer I was. Yeah. And I, had, I was very fortunate because my dancing teacher had been an ex- J.C. Williamson's ballet mistress. And she had actually given Betty Pounder the job when she retired. And she'd been through all those Gladys Moncrief shows, you know. Was that Violet Meldrum? Hazel. Hazel. Hazel Meldrum. Violet was the sister. sister. And, they and Lily the was the other, yes. Right. Violet taught um, tap. Hazel taught the ballet. And, and Hazel, um, Violet did a little bit of jazz. Not very progressive jazz, but when jazz came in, and Lily took the money. <laughs> <laughs> and they did very nicely, thank you. Meldrum, Meldrum, and Meldrum. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, Williamson seemed extraordinary. That So they remembered you from the Bye Bye Birdie audition. Well, Pounder. Pounder did, yes. and then contacted you for, for, for My Fair Lady. Fair Lady, yeah. Through telegrams. Through telegrams. I mean, to the uninitiated, <laughs> tell the listener what a telegram was. How did well, you learn about auditions? How did you have communication? Well, they had they had me on the list from the Bye Bye Birdie auditions and obviously had, I'm just trying to think how telegrams, they came to the door with the telegram, but I guess it came through. They'd your, have to know their address They'd have to know address, mm. yes. Yes, it is a long time ago. Were auditions um, open calls? Because I, I don't suppose there were a lot of they were agents open around, calls. were there? They were open calls for dancers, certainly. Yeah, yeah. And because I wasn't in a position to be going for any roles, I, I don't know how they contacted other people. I think there were there were agents, but mainly for actors, probably, and radio actors particularly. Right. Mm. Betty Pounder became a great mentor of yours. Of oh, myself and many of us. Yeah. Um, tell me about Betty Pounder. She was an extraordinary woman who... Very down-to-earth. Yeah. Um, she would be... She started in the in the ballet years ago with, with J.C. Williamson's. She won a scholarship to go to London early in her life, a ballet scholarship. The war broke out. She worked in um, entertainment during the war. She came back. She also married a saxophone player. And uh, she became involved with J.C. Williamson's, took over as ballet mistress, and then started to be sent to New York to notate the shows because they didn't bring, she would do the original choreography, but however that was settled, I don't know, I wasn't privy to how that would be worked out contractually. But she had such a sharp eye, to, she could pick it up. And, well, if, and, and, and anything 
that she didn't really, she couldn't really solve from the front. She'd get to know the dancers and they loved her because she was very Australian and she was a novelty in that way to them and they loved her. And she would take them out for supper and she'd say, you know that bit where you, you know, you're doing that, how do you get back around there and into, they'd say, oh, yeah, this is what happens. And a lot of the time that's what she'd do because she just made such great friends of them and they and they loved her. Sounds like she must have had a, a very full job sort of monitoring several shows at the same time. And, and she had to work with the directors that were going to be coming out to direct the shows and sit in on all of those auditions where they brought people from either the West End or... or and she way. was their touchstone, I guess, for Australian talent. Who was around and who well, she would yeah, roles. she would have yeah. been, but it was a long time before Australian talent was actually getting a chance in those major roles. Yeah, it was yeah, always their policy to bring right. people out because they felt that the Australian audiences were more impressed by from Broadway or from the West End, and then the Australian audiences started to learn about their own, like Jill in the Philip Street reviews, and and because uh, Tiki Taylor had been had been a dancer with Betty in shows like. No, no, Nanette, they were chorus girls. But she she was fabulous as Gladys in the pyjama game. And, of course, Tony and then Kevin as a dancer because Kevin was such a strong dancer and we didn't have a lot of male dancers of that calibre in the country. There were a that lot had of, that uh, strength yeah, and masculinity. That strength, yeah, yeah. And, and that style of dancing with the Fosse thing coming in with pyjama game too, you know, that very d- different and particular way of moving. Because Pajama Game would have been the first Fosse show to appear here, I guess. Yes, it would yeah. have been. The second one would have been How to Succeed. Right. Yeah, with the pirate ballet. And all of those marvellous things. Secretary is not a toy and <laughs> <laughs> Coffee Break. Coffee break ah, oh, fabulous stuff, yeah. yeah. It's wonderful. Uh, so Betty Pounder, who have been your other great teachers? Well, I think I, I think I've learned a lot from from watching people like Jill and, and Tony over the years, and uh, people I've admired that uh, that are just you you don't realise that you're learning so much from them because you're kind of just chatting away and watching them and everything. But certainly over the years, people I've worked with all the time, I've, I love watching other people work. I think it's very informative, and I love just as a as a an, an audience watching them work learning through osmosis mm. on the job now you grew up in manly i grew up in manly had a bit of a time in the hunter valley after my father came back from the war he became a publican in the hunter valley and we lived oh, up wow. there okay. mm. in the pubs my mum learned to pull a beer and run a hotel then unfortunately he was killed in a car accident when i was 11 so we came back to my grandmother who I'd been taken to when I was born because Dad was still overseas as a, an airman. So is this uh, your father's mother? Or no, my mother's, mother's mother. mother right? Mother's yeah. mother. Yeah. And uh, they were all family of women. My mother was one of three girls, this, the middle one. And they were very... I grew up with this wonderful family of women who all loved to sing and they weren't... They'd never done it professionally, but they was, they'd sing and they'd gone off to dance classes with Pansy Mel and all those amazing dance teachers and, in the... Balmain, Roselle area. Then during the war, my grandmother was able to get this lovely flat opposite the beach because everyone moved to the mountains. 
And at that time, the beach was covered in barbed wire because they were thinking that the Japanese were Invasion. going to arrive any minute. So she lived there for many years, and that's where I came as a baby, from Crown Street Hospital to Manly. And I always considered Manly my home. When people would say, where do you live? I'd say, Manly. And my mother would say, no, you don't. You live in Musselbrook. No, I don't. I said, I live in Manly. <laughs> and I never let that go. <laughs> always lived in Manly. So we came back and, and lived with my grandmother again and uh, until I sort of went into the theatre and then I started just flatting with my mates around the King's Cross, Potts Point area. And you've never really left? Never really left. Oh. Do you remember much of your dad? I do remember um, being very, very close to my dad and he had a great sense of humour. He was a great fun sort of person. My mother was much more, he had his head in the air and my mother had her feet on the ground. It was a bit like um, Captain Andy and Parthy. Oh, it was wow. a bit like that. Fantastic. When I think about it, it really yeah. was. So did he sing at parties or anything like oh, that? Oh, he, was a, he, he was a joker. Yeah. He was a joker, yeah. My right. mother had the voice. She had a nice voice. So yeah. an only child? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. An only child. Was that hard, sort of not having, or did you have cousins? or? I had cousins, yeah. younger cousins, um, and I also had a girlfriend... Uh, who I went to kindergarten with and we were friends right up to last year when she died. Yeah. Oh, wow. So we, and we were both only children. We were joined at the hip. So like sisters, really. We were like yeah. sisters and we lived across the road from one another. So I had that kind of friendship or kinship. Mm. You had a growth on your hip joint. Yes, that happened oh, while we were in um, Denman, which is close to Musselbrook. I got a Morgan Star bike for my seventh birthday, which I loved, and I was, you know, riding. We had a very big backyard at the back of the pub, and I could ride around there and learn how to ride. And, of course, like you do, fell off a lot. And suddenly my left leg started to go from under me, and my mother thought, oh, that's very strange. And she took me to the doctor, and he said, oh, I think it's the bike. You know, she's falling off so often she's pulled something or whatever. Then it got worse, and he said, no, we'd better get this x-rayed, and they found this tumour on my hip. So we were sent to um, Newcastle, to the John Hunter Hospital, where there was a wonderful orthopaedic surgeon called Dr. Alan Roberts, and he operated on, on me. And then I had to wear a caliper for some time, perhaps 12 to 15 months, I think it was, to make sure when the bone was growing that one leg didn't grow shorter than the other. Right. And then when the, he took the caliper off, I heard him say, I think she should do calisthenics or dancing or something, and the word dancing sprung out in my ears and my father kind of packed everything up and we came back and uh, to Sydney and then they bought a little business um, in Woi Woi, uh, in Woi Woi Bay, it was a little mixed business and he used to travel for the Riverwood Meat Company, it was that during that travelling up and down that he had the accident. Oh, right, yeah. right. so, so dance I guess was a, um, a healing, Oh, very much building so. strength in your legs again. Exactly, yeah. yes. Yes, and uh, and of course it, I couldn't get enough of it. So I think you would have found dance anyway, Nancy Hayes, wouldn't you? I think I might have. Happened. I think I might have. <laughs> but uh, you know, there weren't any dancing teachers up that way, and I was sent off to learn piano. And I wish I'd paid more attention now. So do I. It's one of my big regrets oh, that I never stuck with piano. To think yeah. to sit down and be able to play would be wonderful. But you probably had a terrible teacher, did you? I well, had one who used to smack my fingers oh, with a ruler. And yes, I. I didn't I, look forward I, to it. I, it, I've kind of erased it from my mind. 
except I know that I had the opportunity and I didn't really take it up. I love a film cliché because a film cliché is the best entertainment I know. A nice familiar phrase like, hey, why don't we put on a show? My kind of dialogue is, please don't shoot my dog. Rusty couldn't have eaten those sheep. And there's that deathless phrase, we mustn't, Charles, I'll only feel cheap. I love the faithless wife who takes a lover's life, but she's glad, 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 glad. And Colonel Fotheringay who starts to shove one day. These jungle drums are driving me mad, mad, mad. I love a line like, gee, why can't I make you see? I got music inside of me paw. Or when the witness says, the killer's name, Inspector, is... Uh, Gran took you to the movies a lot, I believe, MGM yeah, musicals. the MGM movies down. The MGM movie theatre was right on the beach, just a couple of blocks down from us. And we'd see all those great dance shows and, and a few drama things as well, but the dance ones stand out. Who were the stars that you oh, idolised? Oh, well, Gene Kelly yeah. and um, um, Sid Charisse, um, all, all and of Miller? that. And Miller, all of that. That lineup. I'm trying to think of the Van names. Van Johnson. Van Johnson. Yeah. They all danced. Yeah, they all danced. It's extraordinary. And of course, it? I'd we'd had the big esplanade to walk home, so I'd be ahead of my grandmother doing what I what I thought was the choreography at the time. All the way home. Well, again, it's that that power of a show tune or musical that well, you I mean, sort of just, you just want life to be like that. It takes you to another place. It takes <laughs> me to another place and a place I love. Yeah, yeah. So why not go there? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's an old thing about musicals, isn't it? When when characters can't where they get to a, a state of heightened emotion where they can't talk anymore, they sing. Well, that's and then the premise singing, of it, isn't yeah, it? <laughs> and then when singing runs out, they have to dance. That's right. That, yeah, yeah. Exactly. There should be more of that in life, I think. I think so. Sing and dance your way through life. So other artistic influences in your childhood? Did you did you ever go to the live theatre? or? I remember seeing, being taken to the Borovansky Ballet. I remember my grandmother taking me to see the Kiwis. There were a group of men that did these wonderful reviews and there was one, one man, and I think his name was John Hunter, who used to dance on his toes. And he was, he'd was he do this beautiful... On point? In a point, point shoe? In or? point shoes. Right, yeah. I was terribly impressed. And then at the end, of course, they would take the wigs off and the whole thing. But they were a great... And I think they'd been formed during the war, and then they continued to do these shows. And they were called... The group was called the Kiwis. Then, as I said, I saw things like Sentimental Bloke before I, while I was still a secretary, and Music Man, and um, as much as I could afford to see. Didn't see many plays. I was really not, all my money had to go into seeing the musicals, but I'm really sad. I never saw things like The Pajama Game, or Damn Yankees, or Can Can, or that era, that was just before my time of being able to to afford to get there. But my grandmother tried to take me as, as much as she could, but particularly to the ballet. When I talk to you, I think I think of that verse from a chorus line, everything is beautiful at the ballet. Anyway, I did have this fantastic fantasy life. I used to dance around the living room with my arms up like this. My fantasy was that I was an Indian chief. And he'd say to me, Maggie, do you want to dance? And I'd say, Daddy, I would love to dance. Yeah speaks to me doesn't it it's, i think that's it's so <laughs> when I poetic saw a chorus line uh, in 1976 
and uh, everyone said, oh, you'll never get in. But was fortunate through J.C. Williamson's that I was able to get in touch with their representative. So you were in New York? I was in New York yeah. with my girlfriend, Laurel, who was a dancer, who was the Frug girl in Sweet Charity. And she was working at the time on Gypsy with Gloria Dawn. And after that finished, we both had the opportunity. She said, we've got to go and see this show in New York. So she said, we're not leaving until we see it. We've just got to see it because we were playing the recording all the time. So we got to New York and we rang... I can't think of the man's name off the top of my head at the moment. Paul Lubin, Lubin Paul Lubin from um, Circle in the Square. They were then the representatives for J.C. Williamson's. And he said, oh, yeah, oh, nice to hear from you. And he said, now, what do you want to see? And I went, I did a big swallow and went, a chorus line? He said, oh, fine, when do you want to go? Can you go tonight? And I said, no, no, we can't go tonight, actually. Can you go tomorrow night? Yes. So we were so excited because when we were picking up the tickets, they were selling, this was about February or March, and they were selling them for the next year. They were picking up tickets for the next year, and we had these tickets. Well, as soon as it started, we were a mess. Wow. We just burst into tears. We were so excited to see it, and it spoke to us, of course. Of What's every dancer's story, isn't it? It is, yeah. about all the years that you dance in the chorus. Were you up for it in Australia or no. you had another job, I suppose, at the no, time? No, the, I was doing my first commercial play, which was same time next year. Oh, okay. mm. And that was a big tour around the country, wasn't it? It was a big yeah. tour around the country. And that came about when we were in New York and, and, and Paul Lubin took us to lunch. And he said, uh, now, what have you seen? And we went, oh, it was a wonderful season. You know, there was so much to see. And he said, have you seen a play called Same Time Next Year? And I said, no, but I, we've got it on the list. He said, oh, well, you should see that. And Laurel said to me, why are they talking to you about seeing Same Time Next Year? I said, I don't know. I think it's just a really good play. She said, no, I think I have a feeling. I, I said, look, Williamson's have never given anyone in musical theatre a straight role. But, of course, it was written by Neil Simon. No, it was no, written wasn't? by... Um, oh, I thought Same Time Next Year. Bernard Slade? Right. Yes, Bernard Slade. Um, and um, I think I'm right, isn't that dreadful? Um, but when we got back to Australia, Bill Shanahan, who was my agent at the time, rang and said, they've just offered you the role of, of um, Doris in same time next year. I mean, it could have knocked me over. And it was such a beautiful play. And um, Louis Vianda came back oh, from England wonderful, wonderful. to play with me. And then he went, his little boy was born here and he went back to England and we toured it the following year and I did it with Graham Blundell. <laughs> Two very different actors. Very different. Very yeah. different actors, but yeah. we had a lot of fun. So did that change your performance at all, working with two different actors and their, their style? Yes, there yeah. was... There was uh, I didn't say... I, 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 you've got to work with the you people. You work with the, yes, You can't yeah. say, I did it partner. this way, no, 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 no matter yeah. what you do. No, no. I, it's it's in, in some ways it gives you a new... Keeps it fresh. Keep, keeps it very fresh, yeah. yeah. Uh, member of World Record Club... Um, receiving something once a once a month. How do you access your recordings now? Do you still listen to a lot of? Well, I've still show got a tunes? great collection yeah. at home, and I do. I haven't. I'm. I must say, I've dropped off with the collection a bit. I've just received the proms from a friend in New York, um, which is already closed. Or the prom, I should say. Yes, they're turning um, into a film. Are they? Yes, okay, yeah. okay. So I'm, I'm looking forward to having a listen to that. Nicole Kidman and Meryl Streep. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. right, okay. And um, James Corden. Oh, well, I'll keep that in mind when I have a listen. I've mm. only just got it yesterday, so, uh -huh. yeah. Great. But um, I'm not up with a lot of the new ones, um, 
lot of the off-Broadway ones, the kids, you know, all of the kids, if you talk to the Whopper kids or the VCA kids, and well, you know yourself, yeah. you were one of them. You're up there with what, so what the latest. So up to date with yeah. everything. And I guess, I guess that's part preparation in case it comes to Australia. You want to know that well, show. Well, I can see in them exactly the way I was. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, I just don't keep, keep up with, the, with it so much now. But um, they keep me in touch. <laughs> there was no NIDA or VCA or Whopper, of course, uh, when you were, were starting out. No, NIDA, had, I think, had just started when right. I went into Fair Lady. But you were learning on the job a lot, really, weren't you? Well, I was, I've always learned on the job, basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've tried to do other workshops and things, but my, my primary Whopper years was Jay-Z Williamson's. So did they provide uh, regular or formal dance or vocal classes for, no, for everybody? No, no you that was up to, to you find, to do, find yeah. that yourself. And Pounder did, we were in Melbourne, Pounder had a, a famous dance class up in the sunroom. The sunroom was over the alley at the back of Her Majesty's and you'd go up this very steep and winding staircase which was, was full of skips, full of shows and you could see the shows stamped on them. You know, Let's see how many references to a chorus line we can make. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, see, my my fair lady. Uh, then, how to succeed? How to succeed? And of course, I und- I had the understudy to Hedy Larue, which came about because I, as I said before, we weren't ever auditioned for just a line here and there in a show, and that changed. And I was auditioned, um, and with one of the chorus ladies, had to play this scrubber woman in the office, and and I loved it. And we had the cigarettes hanging out of the side of our mouths and buckets and mops and things. And one of the Americans, Lenny Gotchman, who was playing Finch, said to the J.C. Williamson hierarchy, you know, he said, I think Nancy's got a bit of a flair for comedy. Why don't you um, try her out for understudy to Hedy LaRue? Which they did, and they gave that to me. But Betty never went off, Betty Maguire. She was a real trooper. She never went off, although I I, I must say the day that uh, President Kennedy was shot, I thought, that was a very hard day. That we had six Americans. In the show. Six Americans out we to do the show. We had six Americans wow. in that show, and it was a very, very sad day for everybody. And I thought, oh, will they be? You know, will I have to go on today? But no, they they all went on. But it was it was an incredible feeling, particularly the last line of "How to Succeed," which is next thing you know, or something. I'll be in the White House or whatever wow. it is. Wow. That's the last line. I bet you were ready though. We were. We we were on. It was matinee day. So we heard early in the morning about the the, the assassination. So right. it was a very, very long and hard day. It's interesting with the, the character of the child lady in in um, How to Succeed. Somebody's looking at you as a character mm. actress mm. because I think Hello Dolly, didn't you play the I older lady Mrs. Rose. Who, who has a word to Dolly Levi? She passes her in the street. I do, and there's another story attached to that. I. I'd taken when Betty decided they they all stayed a year and three of them started to stay on for the national tour, but Betty Maguire wanted to get back to America and um, she agreed to go, which was a wonderful thing. She agreed to go off on one matinee to let me play the role. So they gathered all the the people that would be making the decision within J.C. Williamson's, including Freddie Carpenter, who was an Australian who worked in London and had directed How to Succeed and, and other shows afterwards and before. But um, I was I was put on for the matinee and there was a great discussion that whether they would bring someone out and then they said, no, we're gonna give you, gonna let you take over for the tour, which was amazing. It was amazing and, and 
suddenly you're sort of taken out of the, the chorus room and you've got this dressing room of your own. And I suddenly kept saying to the others, could you come down and visit me? <laughs> <laughs> what was the general feel from the Australians about Americans coming in? Was it was it a chance to, oh, they're from, from America, we can learn from them? Well, I think that's what we were given to believe, but I don't know that we felt that's... Um, I don't. I can't speak so much for someone like probably Jill or Tony would be able to answer that question yeah. more because I didn't have the length of time of it. Right. Okay. You know, it was, you were on that that cusp. And the people yeah. that I worked with were wonderful. Yeah. And very supportive. Um, no one was sort of I am you know, better than everyone else. And they and they in that in my case, you know, opened doors for me really. Mm. What was your go-to audition song? Well, most of the time we had to sing Happy Birthday. Really? Yes. When we first all started, <laughs> yes, to see if you had a voice, Happy Birthday. But I used to do things like um, You're the Tops and um, uh, I'm just trying to think. I don't remember what I was sung for, for the audition for charity, probably one of the charity songs, which you wouldn't do now. Yeah. But at that point, I think that that's what I did do. And um, But after I'd done how to succeed they were doing Dolly and of course I was very keen to perhaps do Minnie Fay but uh, Fred Hebert came back and he had directed the pyjama game and he decided was he, he an American he was an American because he'd done he, he directed Funny Girl and Pajama Game and Charity, Charity and, and Promises Promises yeah. and The, and the Odd Couple and Fiddler and right. you know he was became a regular but um, he'd done Pajama Game because he'd worked for Freddie Brisson who was the producer of Pajama Game in America and uh, Freddie Brisson was married to um, Rosalind Russell Ros Russell yeah. The Lizard of Roz The Lizard of Roz that's the one <laughs> wonderful story anyway he already knew that he wanted Jill and uh, Tiki for Widow Malloy and, and Minnie Faye but um, John McCallum said you know you've been with us you know and we really want to keep you with us I'd been offered um, a role in Fade Out, Fade In that Tivoli were doing. It was a very similar role to how to, uh, to Hedy LaRue. So, um, but it was a, it was an offer. But he said, no, we really want you to stay with us and we'll find a part for you. You'll be, you know, be part of it. Well, that was all right. I got the little contract that said, you'll be playing Mrs. Rose. And I had no idea, I was 22, what, what Mrs. Rose would be. I mean, we never saw shows. No one went away and saw shows except yeah. Bounder. But... Um, when we got to the read-through and I read Mrs. Rose, old lady pushing a vegetable cart, I thought, oh dear, I must say that <laughs> the, the, the eyes filled up with tears and I thought, no, get over it, just do it. Is that, the voice of your mother in your head? It, the voice yeah. of my mother in my head, get over it. So I used to play Mrs. Rose. I had to cross diagonally from upstage from side across and chat to Mrs. Rose and, and Carol Cook was, was playing Dolly oh, at the time. And Carol used to say, oh, but Betty, God love her, she gave me part of the Tony Pastor girl in before the parade passes by. So I had this fabulous leotard and satin boots on underneath my old lady outfit. And I'd rush off and then whip back on stage <laughs> in a glamorous guise. <laughs> Which, but it was a, it was a, and I did that for a year. I played Mrs. Rose for a year. And didn't you cover Mrs. Malloy? I did, yeah. and I, well, I didn't. I wasn't covering Mrs. Malloy right, okay. when we started, but Carol got sick the night we opened. Jill hadn't had a, re, a, a rehearsal. Because she was covering Carol. She was Carol, covering was Carol, right. and one of the chorus ladies was going to be chosen to um, understudy 
well, widow Malloy. But Pounder came to me and he, she said, you'll have to go on. I said, I don't sing like that. I said, I don't sing ribbons down my back. You'll be fine, she said. So I, I have to go on for um, Widow Malloy. And they said, you just go on and you open the, the milliner's shop and you just push the door and it will swing around on the access. <laughs> well, I got out there, beautifully dressed and the hair all done up and, oh, come on, Minnie, you know, here we go, open the open the milliner. Would you think that set would move? It would not move and we kept pushing it and pushing it. Suddenly these burly stagehands had to come out and turn it around. Then the next two days later, Tiki Taylor got appendicitis and someone had to go on for her, another dancer called Carol Walker, had to go on for, for Tiki. So we're all out there pushing one another where we're supposed to go, particularly in I Stand for America, you know, Hot yes. Lunch for Orphans. We'd, we were all, Jill was opening things and we were going under tables and, and the boys were trying to help us. It was just Chaotic. It was chaotic. But you do it. You do it. You somehow get through it. Dr. Theatre. But uh, the thing about uh, um, ribbons down my back, it had one note shining in my hair. And the hair was just on the edge of where I could sing. And it really worried me. And I kept thinking, oh, this doesn't sound good. And I'd be practicing it and practicing it. So the first night when I went shining in my, and did a big pirouette and did, that he might notice me. <laughs> and the conductor went, what? <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> this big whirling dervish and suddenly finished the sentence. I always think that was when in doubt, when in doubt, dance, dance. Um, it's fun when things go wrong. Well, well, it is actually when looking back on they're the good stories, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Could be much worse. Could be. So, Sweet Charity, 1967. Yes, yes. Did you hear that the show was coming in any way? I heard because the show I did after How to Succeed was called Boys from Syracuse and a terrific man called Christopher Hewitt came out to direct it. He directed it off-Broadway and he was the man in the um, film of the producers that played the role that he played, um, the role Tony Sheldon played. Uh, um, Dubois. Roger Debris. Debris, Debris. And he was in that film and he was, he was a very large man with a wonderful big set of teeth and he just kind of grin at you. Anyway, I went to audition for one of the courtesans in um, How to Succeed and then he said, not How to Succeed, Boys from Syracuse, and he said, I'd like you to read for the role of Luce, which I did and which he gave me. And that's- Sing for your supper. Yeah, sing for your supper and um, he and she and there's another one kind of thing. But but um, Hazel Phillips was the was the lead in that. And uh, it, that was a that was a great yeah. How does um, Hazel Phillips and Teddy Hamilton, who were both big television names, and that's when that started to happen to use that people that were well known on television. But she was great to work with Hazel, really. Mm. But Ted was make he couldn't stop laughing. He'd go up at the at anything at anything that happened. He would laugh. A giggler. A giggler. He couldn't help himself and he couldn't recover. And I used to look so sternly at him, and the more sternly I looked at him, the worse he got. <laughs> Till he say, "Don't look at me." I said, "Well, you, you're not allowed to do that." I said, "That's terrible." <laughs> it may, yeah, it's be like laughing in church. Yeah, not yeah. done. Mm, and it makes it worse. <laughs> makes it worse. So, did you think you might have a chance for for charity? Well, what happened was, um, Krista said, um, just as he was going back, "There's a show coming in," and he said, "I think it's got your name on it." I said, oh, what is it? And he said, it's called Sweet Charity. And as soon as the um, 
the recording comes out, I'll send it to you, which he did. And I played it and I, of course, loved it and the whole Did thing. you know much of Gwen Verdon and her work? Mm, sort of, but right. not a great deal. I knew more about Fosse. Right. But uh, then, then the whole uh, thing with J.C. Williamson's John McCallum left and another man, the man, one of the men from New Zealand, because they were also involved with all the theatres in New Zealand, he came along and then he said, despite the success that Jill had had with Funny Girl, wonderful success, he thought that they should bring out Betty Grable, which I don't think was the right person. Bring out someone, but I don't think Betty Grable as much is, as, as I love Betty charity. Grable. Yeah. <laughs> and then whatever happened there, he he suddenly wasn't heading up the, the production anymore. And suddenly, I was given the opportunity to audition and and um, and got the and got given the role. I don't know who who else they auditioned, but no other names were mentioned, or no. So what did the audition process consist of? Well, going in that more because they all knew me from other shows. Yeah. I was auditioning to people that had been looking at me for years. Right. But it was Betty putting the tick on being to dance it and Noel Smith to sing it and, and Fred Hebert to, to act it. So. And John McCallum was a big champion of yours too, I guess. He was a very yeah. big champion of mine, but he had he left just after that. Right. Yeah. So he just that was about the time he was moving on to do television, Skippy and things like that. Do you remember where you were when you got the news that you'd got the I role? was actually at the old Theatre Royal yeah. and I came down from the audition and they called me into the stalls and said, we've decided to give you the, the opportunity. And I ran out, of course, and rang my mother immediately and it was a great, great excitement. And then also enormous pressure to make it work. And then, of course, because it had to be mostly dancers, all of us that had been in that same area, like Judith Roberts... Laurel Veach and Peter Adams came to do Oscar. We'd all were in the same position that we'd actually never been given that big an opportunity. So as a group, we were kind of really all on trial. So that opening night, I remember standing with you know that pose that she has at the beginning, thinking, please God, don't let me let it any, I can't let anyone down, I've got to get this right. And it was a wonderful night. It was all good. But it was an enormous responsibility. Really very, very much felt that. Because that's um, something which a lot of people don't realise too. I guess you have the responsibility of delivering that role every night. But you're also leading that company. And and they're all this, we're all the same age, yeah. basically. And all, all getting our first breaks. Was, Judith was um, Nikki and a girl called Buster Skeggs. I don't know if you've ever heard of Buster. Indeed, she yeah. was Helene. And uh, Laura was the through girl, and you know it was it was a very big break for everybody, not just me. Had Peter Adams had a career in musical theatre, or was was he a straight he'd, actor? He'd done Lock Up Your Daughters, but mainly a straight actor. But he loved. I remember him talking about Lock Up Your Daughters, and uh, and he was he was a wonderful Oscar. He really he really was. And then you caught up again in yeah Guys in and Dolls. Guys and Dolls. Yeah, yeah all those years later. Yeah. But he'd always been, we'd always been great mates and, and uh, very sadly lost him 20 years ago now. Yeah. But um, I first discovered him in Cop Shop, of course. Oh, you would have, yes. JJ, yes, fantastic. Yes. And then was delighted to realise he had a career in musical theatre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, he, he was very, very... Well, he, he was always very protective of me and also very... Say, no, I don't think that was right. 
you know, we used to give me, I'd say to him, don't you give me notes. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, he'd say, I'm just saying. And I'd say, well, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a favourite moment in the show of Sweet, Sweet Charity? Uh, I think the beginning of Brass Band is a beautiful moment when she gets up and says, somebody loves me, yeah. gets up from the, the booth there. Yeah, it's a gorgeous moment and beautifully orchestrated and those boys coming on in silhouette. And he'd known for a whole week. One night he'd followed me to the Fandango ballroom and watched me work and he still didn't care. All he knows is that we're never going to mention my past again as long as we live because he needs me and he wants to marry me and he loves me. Somebody loves me, my heart is beating so fast. All kinds of music is pouring out of me. Somebody loves me at last. Now, I'm a brass band, I'm a harpsichord, I'm a clarinet. I'm the Philadelphia Orchestra, I'm the modern jazz quartet. I'm the band from Macy's Big Parade, a wild come bassy blast. I'm the bells of St. Peter's in Rome. I'm tissue paper on a comb. And all kinds of music is pouring out of me. Cause somebody loves me at last. The girls at the Fandango There are certain moments in shows, aren't there, that have been orchestrated in such a way where you think this is about to lift. Yeah. There are, there are those moments, and they're not always the crash-bang moments. They're just those moments where... And I think also you get to, you're getting to that point in the show where you go, you're nearly there. Because <laughs> 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 there are a lot of great moments. I mean, if they could see me now, and the, the writing, the book of charity, well, all Neil Simon's books and mm, the Little Me and all of those shows are just wonderful. Mm. What happened when you were thrown in the lake? Well, I, have to, I had to go into the orchestra pit. Yeah. So I'd have to go, be pushed into the orchestra pit, and there was a, a little section that was uh, like a box so that you wouldn't fall on any of the musicians, but you had to line yourself up very, very well before you were pushed. Then I had a bucket of water thrown over me, and then I'd come up again, be pulled up again by the policeman initially. And um, so that's, that's the reason charity isn't in Big Spender. It's time to towel down. You have to towel down and, and get, you know, changed into another black dress. Right. Similar to the one you'd left, just taken off. But no, that's... Um, and then at the end, of course, you finish the show that way. You ever have one of those days? What do you like to do at, at uh, Interval? Do you have much time for a cup of tea or something? No, or not much. You're usually getting ready for the next act, Next right? act, yeah. I'm yeah. not a big cup of tea drinker. Right. Uh, I... I don't know what I do at interval. I just sit down for a minute. Sit down for a minute and have a little chat. Put on the Act Two frock. That's right. Yeah. Well, in that case, it was the same frock, <laughs> which is lovely. If you have something comfortable to wear, I love something comfortable to wear. One costume all the way through. Pretty much, yeah. You're following in the footsteps of Gwen Verdon. You've done quite a few of her roles. Well, I've done Chicago. Chicago. Um, and Fosse, too, I'm thinking, I guess, with Pippin as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you ever get to meet either of them? No, I met Gwen. Oh, okay. Yeah. When I went to see um, Chicago in New York, I went back and, and had a wonderful chat with her. And she spoke to me, it was between shows, and she spoke to me for, I would say, an hour. And it was really lovely. Oh, generous, she said, and yeah. I remember 
She said, I remember you take, because we were the second place in the world to do charity, Australia. And she said, and I had a friend that I grew up with in Manly, a, a, a boy that uh, went to, to uh, America and to Canada, and, and he was watching television. He wrote to me, he said, Gwen Verdon's just been on the television. She didn't mention your name, but she said, there's a girl in Australia that's just opened in, the, in this role and it's been very successful. So he was, he was so, couldn't wait to send me an air letter to, to let me know that it happened. Now it'd be instant, but, yes. but uh, no, she was, she was wonderful. And uh, her daughter, Nicole, was having a, the phone kept ringing and she kept saying, yes, Nicole, yes, dear. She said, this party, my daughter's 13th birthday, she's bigger than this production, she said. It's just, just never ending. So it was, it was really lovely to have that time with her. Yeah. And she was very down to earth and, and talked about, you know, again about what a reward it is, a, a role like that, but also an enormous uh, effort to keep, it, to keep it as it should be. And how wonderful in that recent, I guess you've seen the Fosse Verdon TV yes, series, yes. for her to get that acknowledgement really, I never really realised before that she was very much the the talent behind the Fosse. Ideas yeah. woman too, and, yes. And helping him Had put such it an eye yeah. for it all. Yeah, I loved that. that was, I'll watch that again and again, I think. Back in my younger days, when things were going wrong, I might soak, I might pout. Now I've learned if I just pitch in and do what's right, things will always work out. And if we all could spread a little sunshine, all could light a little fire, we all would be a little closer to our hearts. Do you enjoy Pippin? I did enjoy Pippin, yeah. That was um, was John Farnham and, and Colin Hewitt, and they were the king and queen of pop, so they were... Clever casting. They were, oh, well, Ken Brodziak was very good at casting, and he had Ronnie Arnold as the player. Because um, Brodziak's one of our, our other great producers in the country. You know, you talk of Garnet Carroll yeah, and J.C. Williamson. Aztec Services, and yeah. And Aztec, was, that was the company, That was the company, it? Aztec. And uh, he, he trained a lot of young men that went on to be producers. And um, he had seen Pippin. Well, he'd, he'd originally... He was the one that had signed the Beatles years ago. He picked... He got them to... And to he, come out to and they had to, they had to stick to the contract. Oh, that's right, because they'd become huge they'd become after they'd signed, yeah. And he, they, he had, they had to stick to the contract. So he did very well out of that. But he did Godspell and he did uh, Pippin trying to think of all the different ones he did but um, he was a marvellous little man and uh, and he said oh, now Nancy I want you to do this role in Pippin Sammy Bays came out to do it uh, to direct it so I auditioned for him and Ronnie Arnold was the what's the player? The, the leading player, leading player. Yeah. leading player and a wonderful woman called Jenny Jenny Howard, who'd been on the Tivoli circuit. That was the other thing that I used to see as a kid was the pantomimes because my birthday's in January and that was my birthday present, to go to the David Jones to the seventh floor and have lunch and go to the pantomime, the Tivoli. So um, I'd seen Jenny Howard as a kid and loved her. And she was always the principal boy. And I went, oh, that's the role I would love. I'd think, oh, I'd love to be that principal boy, you know. 
that, that had well and truly gone by the time I got anywhere near principal boy age. But uh, we would sit in the dressing room because both had cameo roles. I mean, myself yeah, playing Tristrada and her playing mm. grandmother. So she'd tell me all these wonderful stories about the Tivoli and all those vaudeville years. And we'd laugh and her husband was very doer, Percy. And he'd say, you'll miss your cue in a minute, you two. And we'd say, no, we're right, Percy. We're not on for ages. And he'd say, you'll miss your cue. Just keep it down, keep it down. <laughs> <laughs> It was lovely spending time with her. Well, you talked earlier about great teachers. I mean, something like that. You oh, learn a yeah. lot from well, that. It was a class. You do. Yeah. You do. And she'd come out during the war and then couldn't go back because no one could travel back and forth once the war broke out in the Pacific. Right. And um, so she stayed and then she went home and then came back again and lived here permanently. Right. Yes. No, she was great fun. A bit like Bunty, very vivacious. And forever youthful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you've done many long runs, which requires you to sing a song many, many times. How do you keep it fresh and, and not become, oh, here comes that song again? Well, I think the main thing you have to keep in mind is that you may be doing it for the thousandth time, but the person that bought that ticket is seeing it for the first time, and they deserve the show that they've spent their money to see. That's one thing I believe in very strongly. And uh, and you also, you know, you, you're only human and you do think. And sometimes the, the worst thing about doing a long run is thinking you're going to forget the lyric. Mm. And every now and again, I had that a bit in Chicago. I got I got to a stage, uh, one night I went on in the courtroom scene and I thought, I don't know what comes next. And I was knitting my little baby outfit and my hands were getting clammier and clammier. Of course when the cue came I did say it. By the time we got to nowadays I walked on, we started the choreography, I looked at Jeb and she could see, this is Geraldine Turner, she could see that I had that I wasn't my usual self. So she <laughs> grabbed my shoulders and she turned me around and she virtually got me through it. It was amazing. And I got into the wings and just burst into tears and, and I it was and then she later on told me that she'd had a similar feeling, that um, you, you didn't quite know what came next because it had gone on for so long. Well, psychologically, I guess you go on automatic pilot, And don't that's you? the danger. Yeah, And you yeah. can't do that. You have to be alert then, at all times. Then you find yourself in real strife, yeah. yeah. So it, it is a constant and it, it takes work. You've revisited shows several times. Um, I'm thinking of something like Annie... Lily yes. St. Regis, Miss Hannigan, and you've directed it? I was associate, associate director, director with Martin Shannon. I okay. wanted to work with an original Broadway director. Great. So when the opportunity came up, and it was in that transitional time for me, I wasn't right to the... And that happens. And you have to diversify. You have to start to... And I started to do a bit of choreography and a bit of choreography direction of small musicals and things. So um, I said to Frosty, I'd love to work with an original... Broadway director and uh, so I went and met Martin and he said you've got a CV longer than I said yes and no, I'm not a hundred <laughs> and he just <laughs> laughed and he said oh well we'd uh, we'll, we'll I'd love to have you work with me so that that was good it was good to work with him but it's and also with Annie of course you're going ahead and you're doing all the orphans in each state and the Annies and everything so it's quite a bit of work because you haven't you haven't got what you call a constant cast and it must be really stimulating coming at it from different 
vantage points, you know, mm. associate mm. director, but also mm. Lily St. Regis and then Miss Hannigan. And yeah. You must yes. have a thorough knowledge. I have thorough of knowledge of, of it and, and uh, many orphans that pop up to me in the street and say, hello, Miss Hayes. And I go, oh, hello. And they say, now, which, which Annie oh, version? I was you... an orphan in Annie. And I said, of course <laughs> you were. These very lovely young girls. And I think, oh, my God, which set was that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And My Fair Lady, uh, we started this episode, your very first show, you're mm-hmm. a dancer, you've also choreographed it. I choreographed it three different, well, the same choreography, but three different seasons for a VS, VSO with Anthony Warlow um, as Higgins. And that was over like from 93 to 96 because there were breaks in between yeah. each of those seasons. And then um, after I'd finished the tour with um, Todd in uh, Six Dance Lessons in Six Weeks, I had a call from Stuart Maunder and he said, we're going to do Fair Lady and Reg is going to play Higgins and would you be interested in playing Mrs Higgins? And I said, I said, well, I am younger than Reg, but yes, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> so when you started in the business, did you ever think that you'd be playing Mrs Never. Higgins? Never. And the woman that played Mrs Higgins when I was doing it, was a woman called Ailsa Graham, and she was very, very grand. And we had just got the film of West Side Story had come out, and we'd all been doing Fair Lady for a long time. We were in Adelaide in the finals. No, the final season was Sydney, but the second, you know, penultimate season. So we got the recording of the film, and we would take it down into Prompt Corner and put it on and dance around, because they would clear the stage. The stage was clear. And we'd be going from one side to the other doing all these steps that we'd seen in the film. And uh, Alistair Graham would appear as a vision in this beautiful silk kimono and turban on her head. Girls, girls, when I was a girl in the theatre, people had respect for the principal artists who were trying to sleep. Cease what you're doing and go back to your room. <laughs> and we'd all scurry away and stay. But she was she she was wonderful. She was a real Mrs. Higgins on and off the stage. Yeah. Was there any of her in your performance? Yes, you borrowed from. Yeah. Yes, I think I had her in my mind's eye the entire time I was doing it. And a great book, of course, George Bernard Shaw, um, adapted by um, Ellen J. Lerner. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Some great yeah. words to Beautiful say. Beautiful words. I think my favourite line of Mrs. Higgins is. Um, What a pretty pair you are, playing with your live doll. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was was lovely to come back and do that. Starting out as a chorus girl and ending up as Mrs Higgins. That's a journey. (laughs) Join us for part two of this enthralling conversation with Nancy Hayes when she takes us further into her exciting career and ponders what it takes to ensure such longevity in the theatre. That's next time on Stages, available in episode 105, available in just a few short days. As always, I'm Peter Eyes. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.